West Virginia. Being a fan sucks. I hate it. And now I understand why all of you are so dumb out there. Yesterday I'm watching West Virginia basketball. I felt like they could beat the worst team in the Big 12. They were number two in the country earlier on in the season. They wound up losing by like 17 points. So I texted everybody I know, and I told them, we ain't making the NCAA tournament. I woke up today. Joe Lenardi still had West Virginia as a five seed. He puts them out on Tuesdays and Thursdays now. And I realized I did what I always rip all of you for doing. Reacting, not thinking, not using your minds, and just flying off the rails. It did get me to this question, though. One that I want your input on today. Is it worse to be a fan whose team is perennially awful, like the Pirates, who never do anything, who always disappoint, who always suck, kind of like Duquesne? 40 years of suck. Or is it better to be a fan of a team like West Virginia that has been close a couple of times in the past couple of decades, but has broken the hearts of all their fans? You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. We're at the mall at Robinson. Crowley Show Radio Row, baby. They're doing it at a food court in Minneapolis. We'll do it at a food court here outside of Pittsburgh. I do want you to answer that question. Is it better to be a fan of a team that sucks or a team that only sucks when the stakes are raised. I think it's worse to be a fan of the team that sucks when the stakes are raised. The other team doesn't really tear your heart out. If you're a Duquesne basketball fan, then you're just used to disappointment. You're okay with it. If they win 15 games like they have this year, you shoot off confetti. There's pom-poms. When the Pirates won one game, One playoff game, a wild card game. Back in 2013, it was as if they won the World Series. I think that's the better route. I think it's better to be that kind of fan as opposed to a fan like West Virginia where you think they've got a chance to win a national championship in 2007 they poop down their legs. Last year, they've got an opportunity probably to go to the NCAA championship game in basketball, and they poop down their legs losing to Gonzaga. Don't even get a shot off to tie the game in the final second. I think it's better to always be disappointed as opposed to getting your hopes worked all the way up. I use this analogy all the time. It's kind of like Flowers for Algernon. Did you read that book back in middle school? If you didn't, I'll tell you what it's all about. It's about a guy who's got mental disabilities. He's a little slow, if you will. And he doesn't know it. He just keeps living his life. He's a happy guy until a pill is invented, which made him a genius. He takes the pill. He's a genius. He realizes how much his life sucked before, but he didn't know it. Then the pill wears off. He goes back to his previous state, and oh, my God, things are awful. You see where I'm getting at here? If you're a Pirates fan, 
If you're a fan of Duquesne basketball, if you're a fan of a franchise that always freaking disappoints every single year, then you're kind of okay with it. You're used to it. You move on. But if you're like a West Virginia fan, like me, you've had breakthrough moments where you think, oh my God, this team can take you to the next level, and then they don't. And that hurts even worse. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Big show today in terms of guests. Tim Benz will join us in 15 minutes. He's out in Los Angeles. He writes for Trib Live, official vampire of the Crowley Show. Pat McAfee, former West Virginia Mountaineer and Indianapolis Colts kicker. He'll join us at 5. And we got Jeff Reed at 540. I figure if we're going to get one kicker, why not get two? Get a punter. Get a kicker. Damn it, we got to get the long snapper. Tom, try to get Greg Warren on the phone. We'll get him for later on in the show. I got to thinking about the AFC and the opportunity that the Steelers let slip through their fingers this year. Nobody was really good other than the Patriots. And spare me with the Jacksonville Jags. I know they beat the Steelers twice. They're better than Pittsburgh. By that logic, fine. But Blake Bortles is their quarterback. They're not all that good. The Patriots... They're good. They got Tom Brady. They got Bill Belichick, but they're always going to be there, and they're probably going to be there for the next three years as well. But other than those two teams, everyone else sucked. Tennessee, they were supposed to take a step. Eh, they stunk. Steelers spanked them here at Heinz Field. The Raiders, were they going to take that next step? No, they stunk. The Broncos, their defense, they're going to be great. No, they stunk. Every team that was supposed to be a contender in the AFC, Cincinnati, Baltimore, they all stunk. And the Steelers had an opportunity to get to the AFC Championship game again, and they squandered it. All this you already know. But next year, I'm concerned about the depth of the AFC. I think next year, it becomes a hell of a lot harder to win the one or the two seed. And I think next year, it becomes a hell of a lot harder to get through the AFC and represent the conference in the Super Bowl. Why do you ask? I think Kirk Cousins is coming to the AFC. I think he's going to wind up in Denver or Jacksonville. He's going to wind up in a spot where he can take that team to the next level. Denver's defense, yeah, they had their issues this year, but I think they kind of gave up. They've still got the personnel. They're still damn good. You give Kirk Cousins... To that team, they're going to be damn good. Jacksonville, they're already good. Not great, because they got Blake Bortles. But if they don't have Blake Bortles, then I think they become great. If Kirk Cousins is on that team, I think they're probably in the Super Bowl right now. The worst-case scenario for Pittsburgh, the worst-case scenario for New England next year, is if Kirk Cousins winds up going to Denver. Because Jacksonville, even though they're not great, that defense is still great. You just add an extra good team. If you give Kirk Cousins to Jacksonville, it puts them head and shoulders above some of the other competition, but Denver not going to be in the equation. Cousins goes to Denver, Denver's all of a sudden really stinking good. And then you've got to contend with Jacksonville. And then you've got to contend with a team that I think is going to be really good next year in the Houston Texans. Because they'd be getting that quarterback back. And that guy was slanging it. Oh, yeah, and you don't want to forget about Kansas City, a team that went 10-6 and this year with Alex Smith, 
Patrick Mahomes, that guy can slang it. Believe me, I watched him in the Big 12 Conference. Really darn good. And they just got a cornerback, which was one of their bigger weaknesses this year. The AFC next year could roll six deep. I haven't even gotten to Baltimore, a team that, while I don't think they're good, was still contending for the playoffs. We're talking about a conference that goes from two, three teams deep this year to one next year that could be as good as the NFC was this year. So the Steelers, yeah. While they missed an opportunity, obviously, when you just look at what happened this year, their road becomes a lot harder next year, and that means, in my opinion, they blew it even more. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Been listening to a lot of national sports radio this week to make fun of Radio Row. Every freaking show has the same guests. Every damn show. I heard Terry Bradshaw on five different shows today. At least the Lebetard show made it interesting. Everywhere else, what's the biggest key for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl? Shut up. But in listening to all the national shows this week, I realized anybody who's picking the Eagles is doing so only because they want to be heard. They're doing so because... They want to be the antithesis of everything else that's going on. Nobody in their right mind actually thinks the Eagles are going to win this game. Nobody in their right mind actually thinks that Philadelphia, without their franchise quarterback, is going to beat the greatest quarterback of all time. It's not going to happen. People might think they're going to cover the spread. People might think that the game's going to be close. People are all excited about their prop bets. That's all fine. But here's one thing that I'm going to tell you. If Tom Brady finishes this game healthy, if Tom Brady is on two legs when the clocks hit triple zero, the Patriots are going to be the Super Bowl champs. End of discussion. And anybody else who says otherwise is faking it. It's not Tom Coughlin walking through that door. It's not Eli Manning walking through that door. It's Nick Foles. It's Doug Peterson. It's a good roster. But they're not beating the roster. They're not beating the quarterback. They're not beating the coach. Anybody who says otherwise, they're doing so just to get noticed. 412-922-2874. Tweet me, at underscore Adam Crowley. I was listening to Mark Madden on the way in, and he was waxing poetic about how the New England Patriots are everything the Steelers aren't. They're a great team. And the Steelers, it's a collection of talent and Undisciplined talent at that. The Patriots, not a lot of talent, but they play disciplined football. And I think that's the easiest narrative that there is out there to follow. He's not the only person who thinks like that. Colin Cowherd's been saying it for a couple of years. Here's where I disagree. The Patriots make mistakes. You want to talk about discipline? Rob Gronkowski jumping on that poor safety for Buffalo. That's not discipline. You think it's discipline? When you give up a 69-yard pass to Juju Smith-Schuster to set the Steelers up for a potential win, you think that's discipline? It's not. They effectively let the Steelers win that football game because they weren't on their P's and Q's. They didn't play good fundamental football. They've had issues. They've made mistakes. They've made mistakes for years. Everyone always wants to say, well, Corey Dillon gets plugged in there and he became a team player. Randy Moss got plugged in there, and he became a team player. 
I don't think it has anything to do with the culture as much as it has to do with winning. Corey Dillon was always pissed and in a bad mood because his team was always losing. Randy Moss, at the end of his career prior to becoming a New England Patriot, was always pissed off because his team was losing. LeGarrette Blunt wasn't getting any playing time, and the Steelers weren't winning as much as the New England Patriots. It's not about the system. It's about winning. And the winning comes down to not the crossing of the T's and dotting of the I's, not to being buttoned up. No, it comes down to their quarterback being the eraser. Everyone acts like the Patriots bleep don't stink. Everybody acts like everything that the Patriots do is star-spangled awesome. And, yeah, they've won a lot. But it's not all because they don't make mistakes. They miss tackles. They drop interceptions. They do dumb things. The quarterback bails them out. It's not all about mindset. It's about not the team's mindset. It's about the quarterback's mindset. Their quarterback wants it more, and their quarterback's better at it than your quarterback is. I don't care who it is. He's the best in the history of the game. Aaron Rodgers, better skill set. Tom Brady gets it done. He needs the yard. He gets it by putting his head down. He needs four yards, a first down. Rub route, five yards, first down. Tom Brady might not be as talented physically as some of the other quarterbacks that we've seen play the game. Not that he isn't, but he's better mentally. He's smarter, and he sees things happen before they do. If the Patriots, in your opinion, are star-spangled awesome, great, good for you. It's not because of New England overall. It's not because of Belichick, although he definitely has a say. It's about Brady. Because they make mistakes like anybody else, and he covers up for them. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Braden tweets, at least WVU didn't lose on the last play of double overtime in the national championship game against Bama in the first title game they got into in 40 years. Son of a bitch, that still hurts. Here's the deal, Braden. You can talk about Georgia all you want. Georgia won a national championship in 1980, Yes. And Georgia got to the national championship. Georgia's been really good recently. West Virginia has had a handful of years where they've been okay. And then their opportunity to get to the national championship game was squashed out by their arch rival. I'd be a Georgia fan any day before I was a West Virginia fan. I'm stuck now. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. All the topics of the day on the table when we speak to Tim Benz, the official vampire of the Crowley Show, coming up next. He writes for the Trib. He's out in California. I don't know what he's doing, but he's out there. We discuss. It's the Crowley Show. Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Steelers just announced that they've signed punter Jordan Berry to a one-year contract extension. Hell of a day for me to have Pat McAfee on, then. That's coming up at 5. Jeff Reed at 5.40. Kickers today. Tim Ben's always kicking and screaming, joins me now on the show. Tim, you're out in L.A., man. What are you doing out there? Well, yeah, I saw your list of guests. If you wanted to blow me off and get Jordan Berry on to make it a hat trick of kickers, I certainly would not be offended. Plus, his... 
Australian accent is much more interesting to listen to than my coastal Connecticut accent. So um, I would not be offended. Have you found Jordan Berry to be an interesting interview? I have. Uh, it's always good to get him talking about things aside from punting. That's not the most interesting thing about him. When he you know, tells you about these deadly snakes and venomous plants and you know, microscopic animals that can kill you all throughout New Zealand and Australia. It is quite the interesting chat. You run into anything like that out there in L.A., Tim? Not yet. I know I am the official vampire of the Crowley Show, but before you ask, no, I have not gone down Ventura Boulevard. That's a good joke, Tim. Thank you. I tried. I've been cooking that one up all week. If you couldn't tell. I don't know what you have been doing out there, though. Just a vacation? Just checking things out? That's it? Well, um, I hope no one is coming out here and looking for a drink anytime in the near future because uh, we drank it all. It's all gone. There's no alcohol <laughs> left in all of L.A. County. Now, i got a friend out here, a really good friend who uh, moved out a couple years ago. He's working on a crime novel out here oh. and uh, is doing some acting as well. So we came out to uh, visit him. Um, my cousin is an actress out here, so I haven't seen her in about two or three years and uh, we went out to dinner with her at some swanky L.A. seafood hotspot, Adam. So I was hobnobbing with the beautiful people. Yeah, your cousin. Yeah. Uh, her husband's a good-looking guy, too. Can't, no. can't debate that. Uh, by the way, first person I saw when I landed, my one only celebrity sighting was the first guy I saw coming off the plane. Burt Kreischer, DVE morning show fame. Uh, he was out here when I got off the plane. And since then, I really haven't seen a celebrity. My cousin's the only other celebrity that I saw. Was Kreischer wearing a shirt? At least when I saw him, um, okay. you know, he tried to take it off when I got close to him. I said, no, 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 it's okay. I mean, I can fit you with a shirt on. You don't have to take it off for me to recognize him. Tim Benz, TribLive.com, joining me here on the Crowley Show. He's vacationing right now out in Los Angeles. Uh, Tim, I was thinking about the AFC next year, and it made me realize just what an opportunity the Steelers did miss this year. Yeah, the Patriots are going to be there. They're always going to be there as long as they've got Brady and Belichick. In Jacksonville, they were good, obviously. They beat the Steelers twice, but they had Blake Bortles as their quarterback. Next year, you could see another team in the AFC have a better quarterback if Kirk Cousins is signed by Denver or Jacksonville. You're going to see Houston healthy, you would think, with their quarterback. And you could see, I think, maybe even the Chiefs improve a little bit more because they've added to their secondary now, and they're going to have a guy that I really like, Pat Mahomes, running the show there. So... I think the Steelers are going to be one of five really good teams in the AFC next year. This year, they were one of three. Well, I heard you talking about that. I'm actually at the LA Fitness right next to the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum right now here. You know, in the in the heart of uh, Hollywood. So, you know, I was and I'm right here looking at the Walk of Stars. And here I am. I'm probably one of literally thousands and thousands of people listening to the Crowley Show on the iHeart Media app. So I got a little workout in, and I was listening to you talk about that. And the one thing I didn't hear in your synopsis of how every team is going to get better in the AFC were any AFC North teams. Do you really think any of those teams are going to be better? No, I don't. But I think the Steelers' opportunity to get a one or a two seed is going to be a lot harder than it was this year. That's true. Yeah, I I think it's going to be hard for them to go 11-5, 12-4 again, particularly with a defense that has a lot of questions to be answered you know um you know on the one hand we want to talk about uh ryan shazier being indispensable and then on the other hand we talk about how it's just one guy to replace next year so they get better it's kind of like if you want to make an excuse for why they did so badly against jacksonville you point to shazier's absence if you want to talk about why the defense is going to be better next year let's say well there's only one guy that they need to replace and that's shazier well which one is it is he indispensable or not 
Um, I think that's a big question to answer, and I think that the defense really has to figure out the front seven. Adam, you and I have talked about this at length. I, I don't think they know what their front seven is, and despite the fact that they got that sack record this year, uh, largely distributed uh, between two games where they probably could have and should have won anyway with half the number of sacks that they had. Uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, truly the pass-rushing unit that the statistics would suggest that it was this season. And they got to figure out what they're going to do there personnel-wise. You know, why a James Harrison couldn't fit in for 15 sa- uh, plays a game, which maybe could have yielded one or two real sacks in crucial situations. they got to tell me uh, what their linebackers, especially their outside linebackers, are supposed to be doing. You think Bud Dupree is on his way to becoming another outside linebacker bust? Yeah, and I thought he was going to take some strides forward this year. I thought the development project was on a positive trajectory, and then I think we saw a significant slippage in the second half of this season. How about you? I was looking at the schedule, Tim. I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> that, that, ever happened, that ever happened to you? you? That ever happened to you? Yeah, it has. But, I mean, like, I didn't think I answered that long on that one. I just sort of redirected it back to you. I just wanted to see if we were on the same page there. Well, I don't even remember what I asked now. You asked about Bud. I said he was on a – I thought he was on an upward trajectory, and then he took a big step back in the second half this season, and then I said, how about you? What's that now? A bus just went by with all of the Kardashian sisters on it wearing nothing but lingerie, and you're the one that got distracted? I do think Bud Dupree is teetering on that path, Tim. I can't believe I did that. I'm looking at the schedule next year. Oh, Falcons, that's going to be tough. Carolina Panthers, oh, my God, they got Kansas City. Hey. Oh, my God, you lost track of your own thinking for that yinzerish thing to do. Oh, let's, let's pick the schedule now uh, 45 weeks in advance when they start. Come on, you're better than that. I wasn't picking the schedule. I was just looking at the schedule, okay? I, I wanted to be able to reference it in a, in a later question that I could ask you and then zone off whenever I was looking something else up. I don't like that now apparently it has to be a requirement that these linebackers are dropping into coverage. I understand that they've always done that to an extent, but Tim, their number one priority from that position needs to be getting after the quarterback because even if you're unleashing your defensive linemen uh, in a one-gap scheme, they're still not going to be able to get there as consistently, I don't think, when whenever it's... Oh, a nickel situation. You've no, got I another mean, outside linebacker saying. on the side. Yeah, it just yeah, doesn't make sense to me. It, you use the key phrase there. Their primary job is dot, dot, dot. No, no, no. That's what their primary job used to be. Right. You know, part of the reason they like T.J. Watt so much and part of the reason they suggest that he didn't hit a rookie wall and part of the reason why they say that they're very happy with his entire rookie season is that he did such a good job in coverage well, then, what we view to be the outside linebacking position in Pittsburgh not only has changed a little bit, but it's changed a lot, and Bud Dupree doesn't fit anymore. You know, if, if you want this to be a base nickel defense where primarily the pass rush comes from four guys that are down linemen with the occasional blitzing Mike Hilton or a corner or something like that, and you got three linebackers that are supposed to cover and take away the middle, basically Ryan Shazier uh, 2.0 and two outside guys that can cover from the hashes out, across the middle, well, okay, then get those guys. Because you just don't want, don't keep getting three, four outside linebackers that are better than what they used to be at coverage, but still primarily pass rushers, then you're defeating the purpose. Just get three linebackers who can cover or, you know, go to more of a dime look and rush four guys that are old school, four, three defensive linemen that just push the pocket back and beat their way to the quarterback. 
You think that they could do that with an addition of just one defensive lineman, Tim? Do you think that they could bring in a guy who's a legitimate edge rusher from the defensive line position and kind of flip to a 4-3 look more so this year? The concern that I've got there is then not so much about getting after the pass or stopping the run. I mean, like, our, you know, I like Hayward and I like Tewitt, but I've liked them as 3-4 ends. So I like them as 4-3 interior guys. I don't. Do you? I don't mind them. Uh, I, I don't, they wouldn't be the guys I'm, I'm trying to replace on this defense. You know what I'm saying? The steel- or, or do you take two, or are you suggesting that you take two and Hayward and put them outside in a 4-3 and then get more natural 4-3 um, defensive tackles? I'd still rather them be on the inside on my 4-3. Yeah, so, so would I. But I'm, that's not, you know, those guys, for as good as they are stopping the run in what used to be the 3-4, I mean, do you think of them as interior linemen in a 4-3 that are, they're taking away the rush? I think they can do it. Yeah, I do. All right, well, then get two really good pass rushing outside guys, put them inside the whole time, and get, uh, you know, linebackers that their best skill is to cover. Well, I honestly don't think that T.J. Watt would be that bad of an option as a 4-3 outside linebacker. I think that guy can run enough and is athletic enough that, you can use him as that guy. Okay, well then, then he needs to just give up the notion of him being anybody that occasionally, then otherwise right. occasionally comes on the rush, uh, on the pass rush. I mean, you know, it's just you got to change jobs. Then uh, I think they're stuck in the middle. The stats don't indicate it, but I think that front seven is definitely something that needs more clearly defined roles right now. What do you mean? More clearly defined players who play those roles. I mean, not only do they need. Not only do they need Ryan Shazier back or somebody like him, they need Kelvin Smith, too, is what I'm saying. Yeah, you can't. I mean, Vince Williams, I think the beginning part portion of the season was a mirage because Ryan Shazier is that good. And I think he can stop the run coming downhill, but he's not a guy that I want out there on third down in this National Football League. He's not, and I think you're right about that. And and that's, that's their issue for me, Tim, is, okay, we're going to, play base 3-4, and then on third down, we're going to switch it up and take the players that we've drafted to play a majority of the time off the field, even though they were never going to play a majority of the time in the first place. Right, or you know, you got to figure out something where you have two really good linebackers, four good uh, down linemen, uh, there's your six, and then you play nickel, um, or maybe even you just have uh, one guy and you, you play dime. You know, I mean, you could do that yeah. too with four down linemen. Um, then you need more defensive backs. Well, strangely enough, to think about it, Adam, and they, they've got more numbers than they ever have at defensive back. Uh, it's just do they have the right guys to play that often? Um, you know, like I think Sutton's going to be woven in more. They keep Hayden, and I think Hayden's going to be a good player for them. It looks like he's still got something left in the tank after all. Uh, what's Artie Burns going to be? Sean Davis is a, a decent player. I think there's still more to be scratched there than what they've just done on the surface. And, how would he do with the other safety position and, and replace Mike Mitchell? That's, that's uh, I think, because uh, I hope they do that. Uh, but let's just see how they do it. Tim Benz, Trib Live, and Steelers Nation Radio, Steelers Radio Network, joining me here on the Crowley Show. Lewis Riddick said the Steelers' secondary is not very good, and, well, the numbers would indicate that he's correct. But like you mentioned, I like Joe Hayden. I like Cam Sutton being able to come in and battle, I think, with Artie Burns for that corner on the other side. Uh, I like what they got out of Mike Hilton this year. I'm kind of repeating some of the stuff that you were sort of alluding to there, Tim. But I, I think that the the sum of the parts wasn't as good as or the sum of the. I never get that one right. I'm all shook because I wasn't listening earlier, Tim. I'm scared. I don't know where to go with this interview now. I'm terrified. You want to talk about LA some more? 
I don't want to talk about L.A. because I'll probably, I'm going to get distracted there, too, Googling beautiful women online. Um, well, I haven't, well, I take that back. Here at the L.A. Fitness, there have been quite a few. I mean, I, I basically just paid $15 to walk around the gym. I haven't been working out that hard. So. <laughs> You're still in the gym right now? I walked outside to talk to you, and now I'm overlooking um, the strip here. And uh, there's some lady that just walked by in a Wonder Woman outfit, which is, yeah, she's not Wonder Woman. I'll leave it at that. I think that the Steelers' secondary gets a lot better if they subtract Mike Mitchell. Addition by subtraction with that guy. Yeah, and you know what? They've done that before. You know, they've they've let guys go who have played that safety position and then improved when they've gotten new players. You know, um, that happened one year when they got Brent Alexander. That happened one year when they replaced Chris Hope, who wasn't bad, but they replaced him with Ryan Clark. Right. You know, they, they've... Mitchell in his first year was hurt a lot, but the next year he was pretty good. So that's usually an area that they can address via free agency. That other safety spot besides the guy that they've gotten in the draft recently that they see as a four-year, five-year player, and that's supposedly Sean Davis. So I think they can address that one in free agency. Uh, I don't know what they do at inside linebacker, mm. uh, whether they do that in the draft or they do that in free agency or both. And a lot of these answers might have to be fixed by, believe it or not, since we've been talking about him retiring so often lately, maybe extending Ben Roethlisberger to tweak his contract and uh, give him a lot of money uh, up front in cash, but prorated on the back end of the, of the deal that they can worry about some of these other areas that need to be fixed as well as uh, maybe giving Left Bell the franchise tag. Quickly, because I want to ask you something else, but... Are you one of the people who thinks that they should give Bell the franchise tag or not? Yeah, I think they should franchise tag him. Although that, I don't know, did you hear that story today? I mean, I was listening to Mark before I jumped on with you, too. Before the legions of people here in Los Angeles put their iHeartRadio app on to listen to the Crowley Show like I did. I was listening to Mark before, and he was, uh, there was some story about how Bettis uh, said something negative about Tomlin uh, on the Mad Dog radio show, some of the effect that the, the Steelers weren't prepared, and that's on Tomlin, and then Bell likes the tweet. I oh, mean, like, no. Look into that. That's what Mark was saying. Um, you know, you can get the specifics on it, but I heard that. I'm like, what is he talking about? He's he's the guy who was the chief distraction. You know, I, I want to see him stay because I, I don't want to see the offense change that much, and I think he is extremely dynamic and has a lot left in the tank. And, and I want to see this take one more big step forward, potentially with the group, the group that they've got offensively um, in, in case Brady gets hurt or somebody else knocks out the Patriots and they do have a chance to go in the Super Bowl again. But yeah, I, I do want to say Bell, see Bell stay, but he makes it harder and harder for me to say that every time he does something dumb. On my drive in, I was listening to Madden as well, uh, because I'm not going to listen to that station across the street. And Mark was talking about the Patriots and how they always do all the little things right. And, okay, I'm sure they do the little things right more than other teams. Fine. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But I think that gets overplayed. I really do. Uh, people were lauding their end-of-the-game performance against the Steelers at Heinz Field, and yet, in my opinion, they still did enough to lose that football game. I think that... Everybody says that they're so star-spangled awesome, they don't make any mistakes, they're so shiny... In my opinion, yeah, maybe more than other teams. But I think it's Tom Brady that's the eraser, and he makes up for all the mistakes that they do make. He does, but at the same time, everybody's in the right space for him to get the ball where he's supposed to make the right read, and he tends to do that, and they tend to do that, right? I mean, 
the subtlety to what you're talking about, where I don't think you can subtract from them, is you know Danny Amendola as the third best receiver on the team a couple years ago, uh, always was where he needed to be in the postseason. You know Julian Edelman, who was a seventh round draft choice, became that guy before Amendola did. Um, you know they've got running backs who always go to the right hole and find the right soft spot where Brady can dump down the ball before, like you said, if it's fourth and five, they get fourth and six and a half. So. Uh, I'm more in the camp of they do do a lot of things right, and it's not just Brady that's the eraser. You know, there are a lot of pretty uh, average players that do a lot of extraordinary things on that team that make up for the deficiencies that they have. The Steeler thing, I tend to agree with you. That was primarily about good fortune, a bad rule on defense because they blew it, but the offense did a great job taking the lead in the first place, moving the ball down the field before Juju Smith-Schuster's big play. Tim, I'm not crazy about my first 40 minutes today. How would you grade them? I thought the 20 that I listened to before I came on were okay. I mean, I thought I was spectacular picking up the slack here for somebody who hasn't been in town for four days while you were Googling the Internet. Um, so I'll, I'll give myself a hold, if not a save, like an old-school Tony Watson hold on this interview. Uh, you, uh, I'm not so sure about yeah, my performance, not good. You've been the eraser here, Tim. Appreciate it, and go find some yoga pants, all right? What do you think I'm wearing right now? Not to wait. Get- Goodbye, Tim. Tim Benz, official vampire of the Crowley Show. Go look at yoga pants. Don't wear yoga pants. Now I'm picturing Tim wearing yoga pants. Coming up next, MLB's extending the netting in all 30 parks. Why is anybody mad about this? That and Matt Murray is the Penguins eraser. It's the Crowley Show. He may be a degenerate, but he's our degenerate. Nonsense. I've not yet begun to defile myself. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Didn't mention it earlier. I'm giving myself an F for the first 40 minutes of the show. I don't have it today. What I didn't mention earlier is that the piercing is going to take place on Monday at 6. Next Monday, 6 o'clock, my belly button getting pierced. I will personally guarantee it. We found Brian. He was in the hospital. He had a blood clot. He's okay. But the woman who was supposed to do the piercing yesterday ghosted us. Poor Brian's in a hospital dying, and this woman couldn't make her way over here to pierce my damn belly button? F her, man, and F that company. We're going to use someone else. Perhaps now that I'm at Grove City Mall, I should walk over to the Piercing Pagoda. Crowley Show, live from Crowley Show Radio Row, 412-922-2874, the number to call. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Major League Baseball's extended netting. Down to the dugouts in all 30 parks around the league. Some people are pissed. It infringes upon our rights. F that. Stop making this political. The same people who always say, we don't want politics in our sports, are the same people, John Steigerwald, who are saying, don't extend the nets. If I'm going to get a hit, I'm going to get a hit. Don't tell me to wear a seatbelt. Don't incringe upon my ability to make my own mistakes. Dude, it ain't politics. It ain't real life. It's a baseball game. When I'm at a ball game, I don't want to take a ball to the dome. I don't. And when I have kids, I'm going to want to sit close because then I can smell 
the Pirates. I like that. Get the smell of Andrew McCutcheon. Little, little sweat dripping off of Neil Walker. So I want to sit close. And I want my kids to sit close. And I don't want them to take it ball to the dome. You know how we came to this, right? A little kid got hit in the face. Fractures. Brain injury. That's not the fault of the kid. And parents shouldn't have to fear for bringing their kids to baseball games. Anybody arguing that they should not put the net up, I wouldn't hang out with in real life. And nor should you, because they're jackasses. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. There's also, you know, the reality that Major League Baseball wants to protect itself. And the Pirates, they don't want to be liable for somebody's brain exploding. So Major League Baseball's looking out for the bottom line. Major League Baseball's making sure they don't get sued. It's a lot like the National Football League. The NFL says, oh, we care about player safety. No, you don't. You don't want to get sued again. That's the reality. And this is safer for me. It's safer for my wife. It's safer for my kids. It's safer for everyone to go to the ballpark now. And that's great. That's a great thing to come from this. But Major League Baseball is doing it because they don't want to get sued. They don't want a bat impaling someone through the eyes. They don't want that to happen. They don't want a baseball to careem off of a grandmother and then cause the grandfather to have a stroke. They don't want that kind of stuff going down at the ballpark, so they put the netting up. I get it from their standpoint. I understand why businesses would want to protect themselves against liability. And it is safer. So I'm all for it. Tweet me, at underscore Adam Crowley. It is funny, though, when guys like John Steigerwald argue against the Nets, but they're so pro-business, too, right? Because they're... Righties. They're Republicans. They're conservatives. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Don't touch our freedoms. Don't take our free will away. I want to sit there and I want to get hit in the face. But the ironic part is, it is a business. And they're supposed to be all about business. And the business wants to protect itself. It's not that hard to put together. It's not that hard to understand. So shut up about it. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Did you see what Brooks Orpik said today? Brooks Orpik was talking to Pittsburgh and Washington media alike, and he thinks he knows how to manage the Penguins. He said, quote, You obviously have to manage the puck well. I think we all know their power play is really good, just like ours. Being disciplined against them is key, too. Anytime you can keep those guys off the power play, it's important. That's usually where they generate a lot of confidence when they get more touches with the puck. You've just got to try to frustrate those guys as much as you can because they turn on each other pretty quickly with as competitive as they all are. End quote. Here's the thing, Brooks. That's the way things happen when you were here. It's not the way things happen now. Did the Penguins get frustrated and come undone two years ago at any point in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I would argue at one moment they did. And that moment was when they shot the puck over the glass seemingly 15 times in game number six against the Washington Capitals. But they wound up pulling it together and they won the game. This used to be the knock on the Penguins. You could fluster them. You can get them off their game. They're going to unravel. It's not the way things get done now. Evgeny Malkin's not going to lose his mind. 
Sidney Crosby's not going to lose his mind. And really, it's been since Mike Sullivan became the coach. If the Penguins are in a situation that's difficult, they have a, the faith that they have the ability they can rise to the occasion. So I don't think you can get in the Penguins' heads that way anymore. Brooks, and it is interesting to hear a capital talking about getting in the heads of the Pittsburgh Penguins when the Penguins are residing deeply within the heads of the Washington Capitals. That's why I think tomorrow's game is pretty important. If you're Pittsburgh, you know you can beat Washington. Hell, every capital almost to a man last year, and their coach, Barry Trotz, said after the playoff series, we gripped our sticks tightly in Game 7. They were doing it throughout the series. They started to let it affect the locker room. They said that. So you don't let them get any confidence back by beating the Penguins tomorrow night. You keep your skates on their throat. Now, they've had some regular season success against Pittsburgh, and I suppose it has not led to playoff success, but I have seen the Penguins flip the switch on a couple of rivals lately that has helped them in the playoffs. The one that always sticks out to me is a couple of years ago when the Rangers came to town and Henrik Lundqvist behaved like a little bitch. He pushed the net off its moorings, he freaked out, and ever since that game, it seems like he can't play 60 minutes against Pittsburgh. He's either getting hurt or he's getting pulled because he sucks. And the Penguins, I think, in that game, got a lot of confidence. Don't give Washington confidence tomorrow night. Beat them. Continue your hot streak and make them feel you in their rearview mirror. 4129222874. Pat McAfee, former Plum, West Virginia graduate, and Colts punter, coming up in seven minutes. I talked a lot in the last segment about the eraser factor. I think Tom Brady's an eraser. Yeah, they might make less mistakes than other teams, but I think he deserves most of the credit for how good they are. Matt Murray can be that guy for this year's Penguins. I don't think these Penguins are as good as the club that won the championship two years ago. I think that they could be as good as the team that won last year, but last year's team did win a lot based on luck and some guile and timely stuff. If you're as good as last year's team, you're going to need a little help. And Matt Murray showed me the other night that in the face of terrible adversity, his father passing away, he can still get to that upper level. Has not really been that guy all season long. He flipped the switch the other night. And if he can continue to be that guy, even if the Penguins aren't perfect, they can win their third consecutive Stanley Cup. Because you know Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Phil Kessel and the power play in general can score. You know that Brian Russ can get it done when things get tough. We've seen Jake Gensel in the playoffs be great. Connor Sherry has had his ups and downs, but you believe in that guy now. If all they need to be is timely because Matt Murray's going to be great, they can do this thing because their roster's still flawed. I think Matt Murray is the most important Penguin from here on out, or the goaltending in general, but Matt Murray's the guy, obviously, with the most pedigree. Oh, yeah, and he's done it before. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Up next, one of the best storytellers in all of sports. And a mountaineer to boot, Pat McAfee joins the show. It is the Crowley Show.